Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. They are like Ophir, Alpha, and Omega. They, don't, they are not accountable to anybody. They don't take instruction from anybody. What I mean to say is this. Even me, as a leader in this local body of, of God's kingdom and the ministry, I take instruction. I relate to somebody. You understand that? Right. So, you can't be a leader and you don't take instruction from anybody else. That is no leadership. You are accountable. You must be accountable. In whatever department that you find yourself, you must be accountable to somebody. You don't feel too big not to be accountable to somebody else. Once you begin to feel unaccountable to people, you are not really a leader that God has ordained and determined. It's a bad example that sometimes we put up. And um, we also have, uh, close to that, is, uh, people like, like I was trying to say, who are head of leaders or head of churches, and they don't feel accountable to anybody else outside of the local assembly. By that I mean, like, someone like me now, who are people who feels submit to me. I say, you submit to me, but I'm not submit to somebody else. You in your local assembly, you want people to submit to you, but you must be submit, uh, you, you must come to the place where you also submit to somebody else. I don't know if you are following what I'm saying. It's a chain of command at whatever level that you are. If you are demanding submission for those you have appointed, then you also must be submissive to somebody higher than you. That is the way it works. So, if for instance, I have to be submissive to somebody who can look into my records, look into my activities. If I have an issue I can also speak to, then if I appoint you as the church or the branch pastors, you should submit to me. Then those people you appoint as head, they should submit to you. So there is that continuous accountability and submission. You cannot be a branch pastor, uh, for instance, and you have people under you and you want them to submit to you, but you are not submitting to somebody else. That is no leadership. Okay. I'm going to give us some examples now of how, for instance, God actually ordained to set up leadership in the church. And these are practical examples we're going to look at from the Bible. The way God ordained leadership and the purpose of leadership in the church. Let's go to the book of Numbers, Numbers 11. I read from verse number 11. Numbers 11 from verse number 11. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servants? Wherefore have I not found favor in thy side, that thou layest the burden of all these people upon me? Now I want you to see that. Now the first thing I want you to see here is this. If you are in leadership, and you want to do it all alone, 
you are a failure. If you are in leadership and you want to do it all alone, you are a failure. This work will overwhelm you and you will not be able to fulfill your assignment. That's the first thing. Yet, Moses was complaining. What was the complaint? He was carrying the burden of the whole people. I start of when he spoke to the father, I mean the father-in-law in the book of Exodus, this is the second example, was complaining to the people, to God at this point. And in fact, he used the word that God afflicted him by implication. You gave me a burden on an assignment. Now the assignment has become an affliction because of the res- Amos responsibility that it carries. So you can't be a leader and think that you must do it all alone by yourself. That is not biblical leadership. Verse 12 says, Have I conceived all these people? He's still complaining. Have I begotten them that thou should say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father bearer the suckling child unto the land with the servant? I mean, that's where unto their fathers. And I also want you to look at some statement of Moses from this passage. Here he's saying, Those you lead are like children to you that you must nurse. So, major responsibility as a leader is that you lost those who are under you. Major responsibility as a leader. You lost those who are under you. So, even if you are departmental head, it means you are supposed to be nursing those under you in that department. Either ushers or you know, whatever it is, you must. Then, branch leaders, you also. To nurse the people means you are going to be giving them the right word that's needful for their growth. And this is why also it's very important that it's not all messages you preach to people. You see, like I said at the camp, there is nothing wrong with church growing. That I call it vertical growth. But God expects us to have, I mean, horizontal growth. But God expects us to have vertical growth because Ephesians 4 tells us that the fivefold ministry are meant to make the church or the people to grow into the measure of the stature of Christ. So if you're raising a church where the people are not growing in Christ, you are not doing the job. You are massing people. You are just gathering multitude. The excess of our work is to be sure that people become Christ-like. They must grow. They must mature. In fact, you're raising them to the point where they can become leaders if they leave the church. Verse 13 says, Wherefore shall I have flesh to give to all these people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. Verse 14 says, Am I not able to bear? I am not able to bear these people alone because it is too heavy for me. Simple statement. So don't try to do the job alone. Verse 15 says, And if that did toss with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of their hand, if I have found favor in the sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. You know, he's talking about his wretchedness because he's unable to do what the people want. He's unable to satisfy the people. He's unable to give, you know, what the people want to them. So he said, he's wretched. And that's because he was doing it all alone. But anyway, we're going to see 
the solution that God gave to him. 16 says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people. Now this is also very important. And officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. Bring the people that you know. If you go to Ark, you find the same thing. Choose from among you. Right? That means you as a leader, you should be able to know the people you are appointing. You should have some good knowledge about the people you are appointing. You don't just appoint people. Are you there with me? It's very important. Then 17 says, And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take, now this is the key, I will take, remember now God is not, is, you see Moses have complained, and God is now going to give answer to his complaint. It's like Moses have prayed and he want to respond to Moses' prayer. I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the spirit which is upon thee, and we put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that I bear it not thyself alone. This is simple. I am going to take the spirit, and this is the critical thing that I want you to see. Now, you have to first understand that you are chosen through a chosen vessel. Understand this. Your position is that God chose someone and that person is choosing you. I don't know if you get what I'm saying now. You see, you can see that Moses chose the 70 elders. Who will lead the congregation of Israel? God then took of the spirit that was upon Moses and put it upon those 70 elders. So God chose Moses. Moses chose the 70 elders. If we bring him home, God chose me and I chose you. Are you following that? Then in your various local assemblies, you're choosing other people. So you see the way it goes. God chose someone, the person chose you, you're choosing some other people. Now, it simply means the persons you're choosing, they are submissive or they should submit to you. They are responsible to you. And then you are responsible to me who chose you, just like I'm responsible to God who chose me. I don't think I get it what I'm saying. This is the way it works. And God is saying, when you walk in this manner, the body will not rest on me alone. Neither will it rest on you alone. We're spreading the body to the whole house by choosing the elders that we know. And this is very important. For you will find a God who chose the elders. I mean, is the one that chose the elders, but he does that through what? Through people. Or through Moses. He will not bypass Moses to choose the elders. Therefore, the elders cannot bypass Moses and go to God. I don't know if I'm making sense to you. See, God did not bypass Moses to go and pick the 70 elders. 
Is that okay? Right. Therefore, the seventy elders cannot bypass Moses to go to God. In terms of receiving specific instruction for what to do. In terms of leaving the congregation, they are not going to go to God direct. In a way, they are still going to submit to Moses. Because when they were chosen, God did not bypass Moses to choose them. Therefore, they cannot bypass Moses and go to God without receiving specific instruction from Moses. Because if that is done, it means they undermine the authority of Moses. And God himself will not want to undermine Moses' authority. That's why he said, you will be the one to choose the people. Then I will put my spirit, the spirit that's for you upon them. And this is also very important. It simply means that the people are going to function based on the spirit of Moses. And that brings you to the place of this realization. How much of, if I may just go straight, of my spirit do you have? I don't know if you follow what I'm talking about. Because that is the way it works. Why I'm going to explain that to you. If he gives me a mandate and he asks me to choose you, which I have done, it simply means you're functioning to uphold the mandate that is given to me. That is not to make you like a robot. No. I will explain further. Look at Matthew 10, verse 40, the New Testament. Matthew 10, verse 40. He that received you, received me. And he that received me, received him that sent me. I want you to see that. Now he was talking to the disciples when he said, go out. He who receives you, receives me who sent you. Good. And he who receives me, receives God who sent me. So you understand that? So your submission means you are actually submitting to God. You're acknowledging the authority of the one that appoints you means you're actually acknowledging God. Don't miss that. And a very important scripture, Jesus said in Matthew 10 verse 40. Did you get that? It's very, very important you understand this. Because this is what I explained again in Numbers 11. He will receive you, receive me. Remember, he is the one sending them. And he would receive me, receive him. Who did what? Who sent me? There's a connectivity. So, you do not, by any means, think that you can bypass the man that appoints you. That would mean bypassing God. Praise the Lord. Okay. So this is the structure that the Father has put in place for us to follow and be successful in ministry. We, we need to believe this. We need to understand it. This is what God says. Now, if you follow in this pattern, you invariably, is actually not just answerable to God, but you are satisfying the demands of God upon your life. 
You are doing ministry that will be recognized by God if you walk in this precept. And it's so important. Praise the Lord. Now look at John 15, verse 16. Jesus again speaking said, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit may do what? May remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of my Father in my name, he shall give it thee. The implication of this is, you're speaking, asking, now when he talks about my name, he talks about my nature. Now don't forget, God took the spirit that was upon Moses and put it upon the people. Now if you really walk in submission, you will catch the spirit of your leader. I don't know if you are following this. Right. You catch the spirit of your leader. Now, like I said, this is not making you a robot. No. But there's a specific grace God has given to your leader. And if you truly submit to your leader, if you truly obey who God has placed before you, you will catch that spirit. For instance, God has graced us with a kind of revelation of grace in terms of teaching and saying the word. You don't need to do anything to fast and pray to come into that. You only need to submit and walk in submission and obedience and you begin to receive the grace of the instruction of the word of God. How you receive the word begins to come to you freely. Without struggling, without anything. It comes to you freely. Why? Because you're walking under submission. You're walking under authority. I don't know if you're getting this. Now, if you read that number 11 very well, you'll be able to see that there was two guys who were named that did not come to the camp. But we are told that the spirit rested on them. And actually, the Bible said they begin to prophesy. But you see, it was not just prophesying by giving vision to people. What God actually released upon them was the spirit of wisdom to rule people. I don't know if you are getting this. Right. So it was not like prophecy of seeing vision for people where say Adab and Adab began to prophesy in the tent and they were not in the midst of people. No, that was not necessarily giving vision to people. That was not it. But what happened there was they were able to come to the place. All of those people that God said, I'm going to take the spirit from Moses and put it upon them. They begin to have the same wisdom to manage the people. So it was primarily the spirit of wisdom that God released upon the people. That's what I'm saying that if you walk in obedience to the one that God has called and then the one that has chosen you to walk with him, you don't struggle to receive the grace of that man. Are you following me? Because the essence of the spirit that is coming upon you is to carry out the mandate. That's what Jesus said here to the people. You have not chosen me, I have chosen you that I may go and bring forth fruit and I have fruit me abide. And whatever you ask in my name, which is not my nature, which is not my character, which is not my spirit, you will receive it. So the quickest way to come into the grace of your leader 
is to walk in what? Submission. That's all. Praise the Lord. Okay, we also notice here, I mean, Numbers 11, that God did not oppose his spirit on the elders. In other words, he did not take an independent spirit from himself. Did you get that? He took the spirit from Moses. That's what I want you to see. I will take of thy spirit and put it upon them. God did not say, I'm going to give them my own spirit. No. Why? Because it is one commission, one mandate. So the spirit that will make that mandate to work is what is distributing to other people. You understand this? So he took of the spirit of Moses, which was more or less a combination of, if I will call, Moses' life experiences, his character, his vision, his anointing, if I his makeup. Moses' makeup is what he took and distributed to those people. So if you walk in some mission, you truly say, well, I belong to this commission, I belong to this ministry, I'm called to work with this man, and this man appointed me, and walk in that same authority. God takes my own DNA, if you will, and put it upon you. You begin to see more than you've been seeing before. Because what you see is what works towards the fulfillment of the mandate that has given to me. If we do things and we succeed so much and it's not working to uphold the mandate given to me, you're running with an independent spirit. No matter how successful you are, that is the way God views it. I don't know if you're getting what I'm talking about. There's a way God sees it. If all that you do no matter how successful in quote, but it's not upholding the mandate given to me as you working with me, that is the way God views it. Amen? Because you do not have an independent call. If I called you, he calls me and I chose you. You do not have an independent call. So your success is meant to build the mandate that has given to me. So the spirit that God took from Moses, he gave it to the 17 elders so that I can help them to work, to build the ministry of Moses. They don't have independent ministry. Praise the Lord. And so one of one of one of the one of the ways I, I spoke to somebody sometime about it. If you know that you cannot walk to upholding the mandate given to an individual, don't stay under that ministry. Just quietly leave. Let the person know. You can no longer walk with the person because you cannot be under a mandate and be running an independent ministry. No, 
every ministry you put up is meant to uphold that mandate that is primarily given to the one that chose you. Don't forget the principle. God called Moses, told Moses to choose the 70 elders, and took the spirit from Moses and put it upon the 70 elders. The 70 elders do not have an independent ministry except the ministry of Moses. The 70 elders cannot bypass Moses and run to God for something else because God did not take his own spirit and put it upon them. He took the spirit of Moses and put it upon them. So they must walk in unison. And that is where God also glorifies them. That is where God also, in fact, their reward is based on how submissive they are to that spirit that God took from Moses and put upon them. That's what God will reward them for. God's not going to reward them because they are running an independent ministry and it's very like just successful. No. It's not. Amen? So, the vision of the elders automatically become the vision of Moses, which is the vision of the nation of Israel. Can you get that? There is one vision now for Israel. And the mandate is given to Moses. And God told Moses to 70 elders. And the 70 elders received the spirit of Moses. So they all have one vision. And that's the vision of Israel. No independent vision. No independent ministry. It's one. So all leaders should carry the same corporate anointing from the user world. God put upon their visionary leader in order to see the purposes of the congregation come to pass. This is very, very critical. It's like an appeal, if I may use the word, for those of us who are the branch leaders of those churches. Understand this, like following the case of Moses now. You see, all leaders carry the same corporate anointing God put upon their visionary leader, which of Moses now, in this case, in order to see the purpose and of the congregation of God come to pass. What was the congregation now? Israel as a nation. In our own setting, what's our congregation? What's our congregation? God's kingdom and other ministry. Is that okay? Right. There's a corporate congregational anointing and everybody functioning under that umbrella should carry the same grace. See, now let me show you this from the book of Acts 16. See how powerful it is in the book of Acts. Acts 16 verse 6. Acts 16 verse number 8. Talking about leaders and followers. Acts 16 verse 8. And they passing by mercy I came down to trust. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over unto Macedonia and help us. You, Paul, come over to Macedonia. Is that okay? Look at verse 10. And after he has seen the vision, who did? Paul. Immediately we. Who are the we? Those walking with Paul. And they were to go into Macedonia. Assuredly gathering that God had called us. 
for to preach the gospel unto them. Can you see that? He saw the vision. We believe in the vision. And we now know that God has called all of us. That's the way it works. And that's what we find in our book of Numbers chapter 11. Reading from 11 down. All those who follow Paul here, people like Timothy and others, they do not have independent vision, but the vision of Apostle Paul. Silas, all of them. Are you following what I'm talking about? Right. You see, God is called so many people in the world with different visions, goal, or ministry. He's not distributing himself through various ministries. Is that okay? Now, if he asks you or you find the need to join with any of these people, God intends you to be rewarded in your obedience to that particular calling of that individual. Praise the Lord. Okay. Let's look at the case of Moses again and, and, and Joshua. Numbers uh, oh no, if you look at was it 27, 20, or 18, whatever. Uh, let me see if that's what I'm going to see. Yeah. Reading from 18, at the number 27, reading from 18. I'm sure I got my scripture right. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take thee, Joshua, the son of Nom. Are we together? Right. A man in whom is the spirit, and lay the hand upon him. Now I want you to see this thing. This is Joshua coming into ministry, as it were. God did not pick him by himself and anointed him secretly and bring him unto Moses. The same commandment: Go pick Joshua. And this is what you must do: Lay your hands upon him. If I were you read Deuteronomy 30, the Bible tells us that, just 32 now, the Bible tells us that when, when, when Moses laid a hand on Joshua, the spirit of wisdom came upon him, the same spirit that came upon the 70 elders. Okay. So he says, I lay hand upon him and set him before Eliezer the priest and before the congregation and gave him a charge in their sight. This leadership now. The reason you do this is so that the people can obey those you have already or those you are appointing. So when you bring up people, sometimes you talk about ordination or whatever the case may be, you're doing that for the people to recognize and acknowledge that you actually chose them and in obeying them, they obey you. Did you get that? Now, you see, it won't have been difficult for God to, maybe in a vision or whatever, just like he called Moses, called Joshua behind the scene and anointed him. But he said, no, you do, choose him. Now, number one, everybody believe in, in Moses. Is that okay? Israel believe in Moses, that is call of God, he's chosen by God. Good. So now when Moses chooses someone, the people will now believe that individual because they believe Moses. That shall put some of thy honor, look at it, upon him. That all the congregation children of Israel may do what? Be obedient. Unto who? Unto Joshua. Where is the honor? The honor is your identification with the man that called you. 
So, I call you to the congregation, before the congregation, and I say, I'm from today, you are a leader in this department, or you are a branch pastor, or whatever. The honor comes upon you, because I ask, I did that. I, I, I don't know if you get what I'm saying now. Good. And so, again, you begin to see that so many of you don't understand that you are in a place of honor by being chosen to lead specific department in the church. You don't know there's a thing of honor. That's the problem. And that is why, largely, too, you don't get obedience from the people. Because, number one, you don't recognize the honor that is upon you and the one that honored you. Then you don't expect the people to obey you. Because the point here is this, let your honor be upon you that they may obey or be obedient unto who? Unto Joshua. So one of the reasons that your people don't obey you is that you don't recognize the honor that's upon you being bestowed on you by the one that are chosen you. Praise the Lord. Verse 21. And he shall stand before Eliezer the priest who shall ask counsel for him after the judgment of Urim before the Lord of his word shall they go out and as for shall they come in body and all the children of Israel with him, even all the congregation. Verse 22. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and set him before Eliezer the priest and before all the congregation. And he laid his hand upon him and gave him a charge as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. So, here we say that Moses had to lay hands on Joshua and impart his authority to him in order for the congregation to do what? To obey Joshua. So, if, if, listen, you don't take your assignment lightly. You don't take it carelessly. You must know that this is a chain command from God and that it's actually God that gave you that assignment. You don't take it carelessly. Praise the Lord. You find the same principle in the book of um, in the New Testament for instance, Ephesians 4 verse 7 close principle here. Bible says, but unto everyone is given the grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Whereby he said, wherefore he said, when he ascended up, he let captivity captain gave gift unto men, that he that ascended what is it but also that he that descended first into the lower part of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above the heavens, that he may feel all things. And he gave some apostles and some pastors, some evangelists, some, sorry, it talks about prophets and evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saint, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, here again, this teaching us that grace is empowered for service. And it doesn't come directly from heaven. Did you say that? I mean, can you notice this? You get the Bible ministry to train the church for the work of ministry. So the grace that is coming from the apostles is helping the people to become good servants in ministry. The grace did not come to them from heaven. It came through the Bible ministry. Just like the grace came to Joshua, it came to the 70 elders through which person? Through Moses. The same principle. Praise the Lord. 
So, grace for salvation comes directly from God. But grace for ministry comes from God through the ministry gift that God has given. You are saved directly from God, yes. But when it comes to ministry, huh? The grace for ministry comes through the one God have chosen. For the 70 elders, it came through Moses. For Joshua, it came through Moses. For the rest of the body of Christ, it's coming through the fivefold ministry. You just need to understand this. So, this is where it's important for you to understand that as you submit to the one that brought you into leadership, the grace of God begins to manifest in your life. Are you saying that? Praise the Lord. So I, I want you to get it because it's very important as far as I'm concerned. Let me show us some dangerous aspects of people who will not submit to leadership. Their attitude. Amen? Praise the Lord. Okay. Um, go with me to... I'm just thinking, we'll just read this from a simpler translation. Go with me to the book of uh, Third John. Um, look at verse number 5. If I may read from there. Third John, verse number 5. Third John, not... Yeah? Third John is one book, isn't it? Am I right? Let me see what I'm looking for. Is that verse number five? Okay, let's see. Chapter one, verse number five. Is that? Okay. Beloved, that doeth faithfully whatsoever that doeth to the brethren and to the strangers, which have borne witness of their charity before the church, whom if they bring forward on their journey, that you help in them. After a godly sword, thou shalt do well. Because thou for this name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote to you. Now, can we jump to Messenger Translation if you can? Um, let me see if we can take him from this. Try verse 5, Message Translation, if that's what I'm looking for. Okay, listen to this. Dear friend, when you extend hospitality to Christian brothers, are we together? And sisters, even when they are strangers, you make the faith visible. They've made the full report back to the church here. A message about your love. It's good work you are doing. Helping these travelers, as missionaries now, on their way. Hospitality worthy of God himself. They set out under the banner of the name and get no help from unbelievers. So, they deserve any support we can give them in providing meals and a bed. 
We become their companions in spreading the truth. This partnership now. Earlier I wrote something about this line to the church. But you trust this leadership now. Who loves being in charge denigrates my counsel. If I come, you can be sure I'm holding to account for spreading vicious rumors about us. This is a believer. This was a leader. So we have leaders where instead of submitting to the authority, remember John is writing? Is that okay? Instead of submitting to the grace and the authority of John, instead of the counsel given to him, he was turning away people from supporting missionaries, and not just that, he was saying things about the leadership which are not true. And that's a very dangerous thing. This will disqualify you from true leadership in the sight of God. That's what I'm saying now. You will lose the grace that was supposed to work for you. If you if you find anything not in congruent with what you feel, go to the leadership and talk. Don't allow rumor the spirit of rumor to grow and breed in your life, it disqualifies you from that grace that is supposed to come. Hallelujah. Let me see, continue verse 10. And if I come, you can be assured I will hold him to account for spreading vicious rumors about us. I mean, this guy was not afraid of God. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Spreading rumors about John. That will tell you that. Spreading rumors about leadership is not new. But don't be part of it. As if that wasn't bad enough, he not only refuses hospitality to traveling Christians, but trying to stop others from welcoming them. Once yet, instead of inviting them, he throws them out. This is the issue. You have leaders sometimes in church. For instance, certain things have been done. Now, you know I don't seem to advocate for unnecessary raising of funds, fundraising pattern. You know we don't do that here. But... You can't be a leader if the church leadership is trying to do a project, for instance, and asking for support. You can't behind the scene be telling people not to join in doing projects. Sometimes you say, but how can that be? But that's what they are saying here. <laughs> that means you have some leaders who will go behind the scene to tell the members not to contribute. Are you saying, are you getting what I'm talking about? I mean, the contribution is too much now. We just did that, we just did that, you know. They, they won't talk to you, they go behind and be telling the membership, it's there in the Bible. And that's idiotical spirit. Bad leadership. 
in that way you will lose the grace. You will miss out of the grace that God has bestowed on you through the same leadership. Verse 11 says, Friend, don't go along with evil. Model the good. Praise the Lord. The person who does good does God's work. The person who does evil falsify God. Doesn't know the first thing about God. Everyone has a good word for Diotrephus. This is another character. The truth is it stands out for Diotrephus. We concur, and you know, we don't hand down endorsement lightly. So there's a place in ministry where the one for whose grace you walk in can give an endorsement to your life. So if I'm asking you a question, are you sure I can endorse you? <laughs> In fact, Hebrews tells us, I think 13, 17. Huh? Let me see Hebrews 13, 17. We're not about Hebrews 13, 17. Alright. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourself for the watch for your soul as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief that is unprofitable for you. So, can you serve your leadership to the point where they can actually give account, endorsement, not just to men, but even to God? Praise the Lord. Are we still here? I need you to follow it because it's very, very important. Very, very important. Very, very important. I want you to know this because it's very important. Praise the Lord. Can I give an endorsement to your ministry? Of those working with me. These are the things you, you should answer for yourself. Can I write a report about you? Assuming it calls for that. Right? Are you following what I'm saying? Right. That's what the scripture is saying here. They give account. And John said, we don't just endorse people lightly, but we have endorsed Diotrephus. I mean, um, Demetrius. Unlike Diotrephus. You see what I'm talking about? Whether you believe it or not, the leadership have a place to endorse in you starting your ministry and what you're doing. Praise the Lord. Let me try to see if I can still give you one or two things. Factors for effective leadership. The first thing I think we need to put as priority as leaders is the kingdom of God. Put first things as a priority, the kingdom of God. It's, it's a key thing, the kingdom of God. That is to say, um, yesterday we read, I think, Luke chapter 14. I said that in the camp the last time. Jesus said, Except you hate your father, your mother, 
your brother, your sister, you cannot be my disciple. In fact, who is war and yourself? How many of you understand that? Your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, and yourself. You cannot be my disciple. <laughs> so to be effective as a leader, the kingdom issues is the principal thing. What is what is that? What is that? How do I put it? You you must not allow anything to separate you from the love and the things of God. Let's understand what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with not just leadership in terms of church, but in the true sense, if I may use the word, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. You may not know it that these little things you are doing is part of the building of that which is called your salvation. You may not understand it. That's what it means to walk out your salvation with fear and trembling when it comes to the issue of leadership. Are you following me? So the primary thing is the kingdom. If, if the kingdom, which is the church activities, will not be a priority to you, you're losing out on the grace that God has given to you. And it will affect so many other things even in your life. It will affect so many other things even in your life. See, I gave a simple illustration actually at the camp as well. I was in the camp. No, when I was teaching number seven. Do you know the reason why, even when I was teaching intercessors, I don't know if you received that message on the intercessors. You remember the reason, the only reason why Israel had to go into bondage for 70 years was because they failed to keep the Sabbath or align the land to follow for one year. And God said, see, work for six years, on the seventh year, allow the land to lay follow. Let you observe my Sabbath. But they will not observe that. And that's what led them to captivity. They were saved, but they were in bondage. <laughs> for disobedience. They were God's children, but they were in bondage. Do you know, some of us literally get into trouble, even though we are saved. In this case, you are not going to pray against Nebuchadnezzar. God's not going to answer you. Because he sent him. You can see why sometimes even praying against the devil doesn't work. Because you violated the major principle that God has laid down and he allows him to deal with you so that you have your sense restored. He's not going to kill you. I don't know if you remember Paul recommended in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 5 that the brother be handed over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. He's not going to kill you. So, who is Satan in that ministry? Ministry of discipline. You go and pray against Satan. No, 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 no. It's not going to work. When you walk in rebellion, when you walk in disobedience, when you don't walk under authority, forget it. Praise the Lord. So, sometimes we have a lot of things that go wrong with us, with our lives, even with our businesses, because we're walking in rebellion. 
to constitute authority and not putting the kingdom as a priority the way it's supposed to be as believers. Take a little bit of this as well. One of the major principles of true leadership is casting division regularly before the people. And I think that is where similarly I would say I don't know if I will use the word that I failed you, but for every message that I, I, I bring out, you always get the vision casted in a way. Let me give you an example here. For those of you in leadership, and this way you are filling your own segment of, 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 of people that you are leading. Number chapter 9. Verse 42, 47. Let's look at verse 47. No, no, I think I got it wrong. Now, I'm trying to... Okay, go to Judge... Let me see. Um, go to Judges chapter 9. Let me see if that's what I want. Not Numbers 9. But I'm looking at the story of Abimelech. Well, Judges 9. Good. And it was told Abimelech, right? Let me just quickly correct this. Uh, I think I tapped something wrong here. Judges, no, right. Praise the Lord. And it was told Abimelech that all the men of the Torah of Sikkim were gathered together. And Abimelech got him up to Manzuma, he and all the people that were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand. Now you follow this. And cut down a ball from the trees. And took it and laid it upon his shoulder. And said unto the people that were with him. What ye have seen me do. Make haste. And do as I have done. This leadership. And all the people likewise cut down every man his ball. And followed Abimelech. And pulled them to the hold. And set the hole on fire upon them, so that all the men of the Torah of Second died also about a thousand men and women. So you as a leader must be passionate over the vision to be able to cast the vision regularly before the people. To avoid the people walking and walking, that is walking and walking aimlessly. You must let them know what you want and what you are doing. Is a major effective leadership principle. Cast the vision. Hmm? Praise the Lord. Are we together? So you see what Abimelech did? He didn't just tell the people to go. He has to demonstrate what he wanted people to do. Right. Call the tree by himself. Put it on his shoulder. Begin to move. Ask the people to go. You do the same thing. What you have seen me do, you do. That's making the vision plain before the people. So if I may ask you, how plain are your vision before your congregation? How plain are your vision in your various departments? Music department, intercessory department, how plain are your vision before those you are leading? Number two factor, or can I say number three now? Number three, right? Team building for to achieve goals. It is important you cast the vision 
He set goals that is how do I put it? Let the people know your goal. You look at this one, you're saying Kingdom of the Mercury Center, you're saying vision, you're saying mission, you're saying community. These are goals we want to achieve. Is that okay? Right. So, in your various department, what do you put in place for the people to pursue? What do you have? Because you see, in your various group, you can set up various units, I mean, in your various units, you can set up goals as, okay, this department want to achieve this. Okay, let's even put it, okay, we want to get about five members joined each other this year. That becomes a goal, right? How do we achieve that? Want to do some programs. You go to the leadership and say, we want to run this kind of a program. Because this is our goal this year. We need five souls to join the church from our department. That's a goal. You just make the people see that. So every time you're coming to the meeting, whatever thing you are doing, you there's a goal you're pursuing. You are running a program, there's a goal you're pursuing. You are not just doing it because you want to be famous or popular. No, you do things that will bring men to Christ. So your goal is to get more people saved. You don't have too many visions. There's only one vision basically. Expanding the kingdom of God. So anything you do is towards the expansion of God's kingdom. Is that okay? Number four principle that I feel to be very, very important is very close to what I've just said is that they constantly recruit emerging leaders. That is, they bring in more leaders from among the people that they are teaching and training. Constant recruitment of emerging leaders. So look at Matthew 20. It's a long reading anyway. We can't be able to go through all of that. But Matthew 21 to 16. Take time to read. Okay? You see how Jesus tried as much as possible to get recruitment, training, and all of those things done. Praise the Lord. Just write it down, take it down, read it yourself. Matthew? Okay. I said Matthew chapter 21 to 16. Read it. Okay. Number five. In your various units, as much as possible, various units and various chapters, develop loyalty in your team. I did a post yesterday from this. Read with me John 6. Let's read from verse 65 to 68. John chapter 6. And he said, Therefore I said unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given him of my father. For that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? That have the words of God eternal life. To whom shall we go? This is loyalty extraordinary. <laughs> if you read from the top, you discover that everybody have left him. 
Not because he may some statement, eat my bread, drink my blood, whatever the case may be. Everybody left him. And he turned to the twelve and said, Will you also go? Peter said, Where do we go to? <laughs> we can't go to anybody else. The world you have, we believe it. So, like I did my process, I had a question. As a leader, even I, I was asking myself the same question. Have I really developed loyalty in you? Can I claim loyalty from you? As a shepherd of this ministry, can I? And can you convincingly say the same thing like Peter said? That I believe in this man's ministry. I believe in what you are doing. I mean, can you come to that? Say some both ways. But this is the height of leadership and loyalty. Until we build loyal people, we have not started leading. Because at that stage, we are just in the midst of those who are not in our camp. Are you following this? Loyalty is such a powerful, powerful thing that you need to build in your people. You must walk to that place where you can confidently say, I know those who I am leading and those whom I am leading, they know me. Peter said, to whom do we go? So within your church circle, are you sure you have them as truly your members? <laughs> Hallelujah. I mean, that's a question. I mean, can they say, no, this one? No, no. It's here or nowhere else. That is part of your leadership. That's part of the assignment you have as a leader to build on your people. Leadership. Praise the Lord. Number six. Look beyond the natural in the choice of your team. You know, Jesus said, John 15, 16, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you ask of my Father in my name, we give it to you. In choosing people, let's go beyond the natural. Let's have some spiritual insight about the people we are choosing to do work for us. I know sometimes in the local chapters we are incapacitated in this. Yeah, because if you have five people in your local church, are you going to start looking for spiritual? Yeah, <laughs> especially if all of them are at the same level. What will you do? You just make use of what. But but this is a basic effective leadership. It's important that you look beyond the natural and the choice of people that have to lead. Because that's where a lot of them are failing us. Because we choose them out of sentiment. We choose them out of. You know, 
Kumariuma, eh? The person when I know before. <laughs> you understand that? Right. That's the thing. Praise the Lord. Number seven. Effective leadership will always find means to finance the vision. They must look for means, look for strategic means to finance the vision. Effective leadership. They must look for strategic means to finance the vision. Must develop some strategies by which you finance the vision. Is that okay? That's where, like in the camp, we're talking about issue of partnership. Very vital. You know, Max has been calling me about two or three times now, talking about what book do you need to publish next year? You need, you need to publish two books or whatever as the case may be. You know, a lot of things, when it comes to the ministry, have kind of slowed down because of the project I have over there. But the truth says you find that no ministry runs without a clear financial principles. But there are a lot of things we are supposed to be still doing here. We ought not just do one thing and then stay back. No. A lot of things we are still supposed to be doing. So, one of the major, major factors of effective leader is that you devise means for yeah, financial principles for the vision. And these also extend to your local setting. What I mean local setting is your various groups. Because you can decide to pick up projects for yourself. In your local groups, you can do that. You understand that? Right. You can do that. You know, for instance, like the Uwo Church after invited me, it was not the whole church, the intercessors invited me to their, I mean, to go do a training for them. That is amazing. Now, they have a means of putting, they, they blessed me, they honored me financially. You understand what I mean now, right? But you see, but they, they find a means now to put that together. That's a project that they carried out within that local unit. That's what I mean. So, even local unit, you can do projects. So, when I say in the vision, you must, like when I said you need, maybe you're thinking of getting five people to join the church from your local unit, it's going to involve certain campaigns, certain things, right? So, you must find means, structure this, not just taxing people, but you must get some means by which you bring in people and bring in these programs to pass. It's important. Praise the Lord. Number eight. To be an effective leader, it must be open to questions. I love this, and it's one of my major, major scriptures, Matthew 19, verse 27. If you ask a question, don't turn them away. You must answer. Matthew 19, 27. Huh? Are you there? Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we are forsaken and follow thee. What shall we have thereafter? Don't shy away, answer the people. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto thee, That you which have followed me in the 
the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, he also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribe of Israel. And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or fathers, or mother, or wife, or children, or land, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit what? Everlasting life. Praise the Lord. Don't shy away from questions. If you are truly an effective leader, be open to questions. Allow people to ask you questions, even about the vision, even about your teachings. Allow people to ask you questions. Don't shy away from questions. Don't don't make people feel they can approach you to ask you questions if they don't get some things right. You are not an effective leader if you do that. Is that okay? Yes, Peter said, okay, we've been following you, so what is this thing all about? What is going to be our reward? Jesus didn't shy away from that. Jesus didn't say, shut up. Jesus didn't say, just follow me. No, he answered him the question that he asked. That's an effective leader. Anything that is not clear in the heart of your people, create room for them to ask. Let them come to your office and ask you questions about the vision, about the goal, about the next thing to do, about what is not being done. Even if you carry the vision before the people and they discover that you are not carrying out the vision the way it's supposed to be, be free and be open. Let them ask you. Don't shun them down. Don't try to make them feel, I am the one here. No. That's not an effective leader. Jesus himself didn't do that. Praise the Lord. Are we together? Praise the Lord. Now, if you take time to read, for instance, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 9. Remember how Paul was trying to raise funds for the church in uh, uh, Jerusalem? You remember that? Because there was a prophecy that farmer was going to come, and then Paul was raising funds for those churches. So remember, that's part of it. Is that okay? He raised fund. You know, all those uh, he that despairingly shall raise sparingly. It was fundraising for. Huh? It's time to read it. Second Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 9. It was a fundraising chapter. That was not a church offering. That's what people don't understand. People say, oh no, look at what they preach it. Oh no, I don't pay tight. I give. I think Second Corinthians 9 is where he said that, verse 1. Give me Second Corinthians 9, verse number 1. Let me see. I know Adam Peter, I give. The Bible talks about giving. They don't understand. Uh, first touching, look at it, the ministration to the saints. It is superfluous superflu- for, for me to write to you. Okay? For I know the forwardness of your mind for which I boast of you to, to them, Macedonia, that Acacia was ready a year ago, and your zeal have provoked, ev- pro- provoked what? Very many. Or the next thing. Yet have I sent the brethren, unless our boasting of you should be in vain in this half, that, that's behalf, that as I said, ye may be what? Ready. Huh? Okay, so, you just go through that. And you go to chapter 10, for instance. These are contributing, you understand that, toward the church in Macedonia, toward the church in this, I mean, huh? Go to chapter 10, let me see verse 1. Now, Paul, I must besiege you, I bring witness and return of God. Okay, whatever, whatever. That is not, that's what I'm looking for now. Chapter 8, chapter 9, you look for that. When he said, when you come 
and the first day of the week has to come together. You understand that? All those things was, when you come to service, not give offering. It was talking about, lay aside the things we are going to send to the brethren in the other church who need help. He wasn't talking about offering. It's a misapplication of scripture. Are you getting what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. So it's like, okay, now I want to minister to a church in, uh, in the water, you know, they need help or something like that. So I was saying, when you come together every Sunday, lay aside all those things, just put them together. So when we come, there will be no need for gathering. We will take those things and send to those church. That's what it was saying. It was not church offering. You know, but people go preach it and say, oh, well, I am not a tithe, I, I give. You know, but first Corinthians. And we say, Corinthians tells us to give. No, that's not what Paul was teaching. Paul was saying, man, the gathering together for the saints who are in need, make sure when you come to church, pull them together. So that when we come, there will be no need to announce gathering again. We will gather those things and send to those people. That's what he was teaching. So, I'm mentioning this for you to understand that, that you can advise me by which you can raise funds. For projects, for helps, and so on and so forth, as the case may be. Praise the living God. Are we here? All right. Okay, I think um, I've done quite a lot. Uh, can you see take some? Huh? Right. Maybe. Let me just give you a few things. Five things to watch out for. When rebellion is on the way, when people want to become rebellious, the five things you should look for, you should begin to observe. In 1 Samuel 25, we have the story of Nabab. Remember that? Reading from verse 10. When uh, David sent his servant to him, I said, Who is, who is, who is Nabab? That's the question. 1 Samuel 25, verse 10. See? And who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants now. Now they are break away from their masters. This is very important. The statement of Nabal there is a key point. There are people who like to break away from their masters. Hmm? Are you with me? Good. So, Breaking away from churches today is not a new thing. They have already been breakaways. <laughs> is that okay? Right. So now, one of the things that you begin to observe when men are intending to break away is to start proving to the rest of the people that they know more than the leader. Praise the Lord. You know, you read the story of, of the two guys that rose against Moses in, in, in Numbers 16, verse 2. Hmm? When they gathered themselves together against Moses and Aaron, and they started telling Moses, You take too much upon yourself. Seeing all the congregation are holy, and every one of them, and the Lord is among them, wherefore then? Lift up yourself above the Lord's congregation of the people. Now verse 4. 
Number 16. When Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. And he spake unto Korah and unto all his company, saying, Even tomorrow the Lord will show who are his and who is holy. And we will cause him to come near unto him. Now you know the story. Hmm? They went and started telling the congregation, You're proving too much. You're trying to think, you know, are you the only one that is anointed or whatever the case may be? Are we also not hearing from God? Are we are not all royal priesthood? <laughs> the Bible says we are all royal priesthood. Have you heard people say that? It's all of that to justify their rebellion. When you start seeing people begin to act that way, just know that this guy is walking to us, break away. But you see, you don't need to do all of that. If you want to walk away, just walk away. Praise the Lord. Another thing about the spirit of breakaway, which is very, very dangerous, that we do not only observe, but I, I, I need to say we be careful about is the spirit of self-isolation, not with COVID-19. Is that okay? First Timothy 3 verse 1. First Timothy 3 verse 1. This also know that in the last day, perilous time shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own self, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, with natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fear, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For these sorts are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, led them with divers lusts, ever learning and ever able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as James and John withstood Moses, so does this also resist the truth. Men of corrupt mind reprobate consigning what faith. So what they do, this kind of people, they pull themselves out from the congregation and they begin to go through and try to incite the membership against the leadership. Some, this spirit makes you sometimes to reject offices that you are given. You don't know that it's a rebellious spirit that's working. You will want to pull out. You've given an assignment, you will all of a sudden you want to pull out. Without very good reasons, you want to pull out. The, the thing is this sometimes when you pull out and they ask you why, you want to explain why you pull out. And most times your explanation. It's not fully justifiable. But you don't know that you're working against the system. It's a spirit of rebellion. It's a breakaway spirit. Ah, praise the Lord. Amen? Alright. You remember also that... I'm going to have time to read all of this thing. Uh, but you know the story of how that... Miriam became leprous. How many of you remember that? Why? Himself and Aaron, because Moses married an Ethiopian woman. You remember that? And they went and said, Are you the only one that is seeing vision? Can't we also see visions? Can't we also prophesy? 
Afra, we are from the same tribe of Levi, isn't it? Aaron is a high priest, I'm a, I'm a prophetess. What is your own? But you see, that was rebellion against authority. Now, so what's the next thing that happened? God dealt with Miriam. And I used to tell people, what God can excuse in somebody's ex-life, he may not excuse you based on your relationship or your position or your calling. You see, it was Miriam and Moses that spoke against Moses. But Miriam was leprous, Moses was not. So don't join people to say things. Save your soul. <laughs> Are you following what I'm talking about? Leave this man to God. And then do you know what? Why do you think, because this is where rebellion becomes a problem in the church. Why do you think the children of Israel say, let us go spy out the land? Because of what Korah and Jambres did, because of what Miriam and Aaron did, people lose trust in Moses. So they said, oh yes, you've been telling us that you're talking us of the promised land. You've been telling us the land is filled with milk and honey. Uh, people, can we please go and find out if what Moses is saying is the truth? This is why they went to spy out the land. They broke down the trust, the confidence, the rebellion of Moses. I mean, of the congregation. Are you following what I'm talking about? Praise the living God. So this is what we should avoid as much as possible. Men who try to speak against the authority sow seed, negative seed in people, it's a sign of rebellion. Are you getting a problem with scripture? Second Timothy? Oh, what did it say? Second Timothy? You're looking for something? What I was reading? Praise the Lord. Okay, check Second Timothy if that's not what I got. Praise the Lord. Three. Are you with me? Am I right? Okay. You got it now? I said first Moody before. Okay, okay, all right. Thank you. Yeah, because I see your face and I saw that there was no lights, so I knew that something was wrong. <laughs> Glory to God. So I didn't mention first Timothy instead of second Timothy. So thank you. I saw that there was darkness in that area and I need to bring light there. So, so he said, second Timothy. <laughs> Why are you laughing? There was darkness in the whole of the area. Now I knew that something was wrong. So let there be light. <laughs> and there was light. Okay? Alright, so we have all of those spirits and we have kind of spirit of division. Check it. You, you still find that. Even in the first Corinthians, you read the same thing. Paul said, I find that there's a lot of division among you. You know, all these things are spirit of rebellion that destroys the system. And then, um, uh, Genesis 9, 2027, 20, 4 Samuel 24, verse 5. You can also read uh, about what happened. Noah, how that is, this is uncovering the leadership. You don't uncover leadership. You know, you don't expose your leaders. You see, David will not even permit himself to smite Saul, even though he has the opportunity. 
Are you following me? Yeah, son of Noam, Shem, Ham. You remember the story? Yeah, that's uncovering leadership. You don't do that. You have people that go around talking about leadership, you know, trying to destroy them. You don't destroy your leadership. Don't forget where we're coming from. There's a grace that enables you to function by reason of the leader. Now, no leader should take that as a means to misbehave. That is where questions will come to you that you must answer. Are you following what I'm saying here? It's very important. Right. The fact that, yes, God called you and then you call these people doesn't mean you want to just do things arbitrarily. No. You don't. All of you must work towards the same vision. But if you are going outside of the vision, they have right to ask you. This is not where we started from. This is not what you told us. Why are we going this way? They have a right to ask you. You must be ready to answer them. Praise the Lord. Okay? Alright, so. Let me just give you these four things. And, and then we can close. If you have a question, then we're going to take from there. The four things that I feel that you need as a body in every of your units. And I mentioned that during the intercessors meeting, it brings cohesion, it brings transformation, it brings growth. Um, for instance, if we look at the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9 verse 35, just that verse, Acts chapter 9 verse 35, I just need us to read that. And all that dwelt at Leda, and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. You like a read from the top, but the key point I want to say is the whole of this city, the whole of this region, they saw Christ. They turned to the Lord. They believed God. That means there was a transformation in the whole of that region. And so for a church to be effective in a local setting, they need four things that I want to mention now that you can work with. Praise the Lord. The first thing is prayer. And this sign is corporate prayer. Every time there is corporate prayer, there is a power of transformation that takes place. When people come together to pray, when the church comes together to pray, you change the climate of the of the place. So it's something that you need to develop in your ministry. You know, and it's very, very important you understand this. Alright? Praise the Lord. All, all, all that you need to do, all that you need to put together, even whether you're doing programs, whatever, just make sure there's enough prayer. Because the prayer unites you people. The prayer binds you people. And the next thing that you need, even in your unit, is humility. Very important. Look at Psalm 25, verse 9. Twenty-five verse nine. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he do what? Will he teach his ways? The humble. You can take another translation if you will. 
The meek is not talking about the humble. He gives, the rejects his hands and leads them step by step. I think a better translation will give us that word rejects actually talks about being humble. Okay. He leads, okay, what's that? Okay. He leads the humble in the right way and teaches them his will. You must learn to be humble. In every one of us, whether you're a leader, whether you are a follower, you must walk in humility. If all of us walk in humility, we're going to achieve more. Praise the Lord. You reveal His will, you reveal His mind to each and every one of us as we walk in humility. Knowing that of ourselves, we can do nothing. Whether we are appointed by Him, it's not enough for us to become proud people. We must walk in humility. Second, the thought in our life to talk about is unity. You must be united. In John 17 23, Jesus made this statement. Praise the Lord. He talks about when the church becomes united. What is that? I in them and thou in me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and have loved them as I have loved me. Unity. Praise the Lord. It will bring forth the glory, the life, and the light of God when you walk in unity. What you don't understand, ask. Instead of gossiping or whatever. Praise the Lord. So, we know God calls us individually, but corporately to represent Christ to the world. We must understand that. Praise the Lord. Our independence, our pride and egos will prevent us from becoming unified or united in Christ. Our pride does that. Our egos does that. Praise the Lord. So that the knowledge of God's ways elude us when we become so proud that we are not united with the body. God wants his body. He doesn't want the individual people doing stuff. No, he wants a body. Unto the Lord shall the gathering of the people be. He didn't say, you know... You remember, to your tent to Israel is, is, is a terrible language. Let's cut out this camp. <laughs> I care what I'm talking about. We've got another vision. To your tent to Israel. You see that? Yeah, but unto the gathering shall the people be. Praise the Lord. Um, unto the Lord shall the gathering of the people be. You must understand that. It's a principal thing. And God is to get glorified. God get exalted when His church walks. As a unified body. Praise the Lord. And he revealed more of the knowledge and will to us. And it's so important. And need to get that. So, knowledge of God ways. The way he works, what he intends done is important. You see, we know the story of how Uzzah died. You remember? Story of Uzzah. When the ark was carried on the carts, right? Instead of on the shoulder. You know the story, right? Very good. Now, 
It was zeal that made David to do that. But, you know, as a leader, he was so zealous to do things outside of the knowledge of the ways of God. And an innocent man died for it. So sometimes your membership suffers certain things in your zeal to do some things for God. We are not in his ways. You understand what I mean? Right. Your membership suffer. They don't even know how this thing comes about. Because they are also zealously trying to help you to do what you are doing. Which is not in the ways of God. David ought to know as a leader in Israel that the ark is not carried on a cart. The only people qualified to carry the ark were the Levites. And they must carry the ark on the poles on the shoulder of the Levites, not on an ark. So they went to use a cart to be dragging the ark. He wanted to glorify the cart. I mean, the, 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 the ark now. Instead of human beings, he needs something built, you know, to carry it, you know. It's like you want to honor God. God said, I don't need the honor that way. Do it my way. And so when the ark just, you know, shook and the cart was, I mean, the ark was about to fall when the cart shook. Uzzah just went to grab it. And now he was not qualified to grab the, the ark because he was not a priest. And he was struck dead. So the zealousness of David was what killed Uzzah. Sometimes your members suffer because of your zeal when you don't do things in the ways of God. So knowledge is important to him. While it's important that we put up programs and all of those things, let's make sure they're in line with the will of God, they're in line with what we'll be called to do. Praise the living God. Are you listening to me? God bless you. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.